If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me. The first passage of Scripture I'll be reading from is out of Genesis, but I am going to stay in Psalm 128 for the majority of the sermon today. So if you will, just go ahead and turn on over to Psalm 128, and uh, we will be there today. Today we start a new series, and through this month I'm going to be talking about responsibility. We're going to talk about the responsibility of men today. And you may say, well, I'm a woman. I can zone out. No, no, no. You need to know what to expect in the responsibility of the men. Okay, so don't, don't say, I'm going to take a nap. Stay awake. Stay with me, okay? All right? But men, we need to know what the Lord expects of us. And not just what he expects of us, what, what we should expect when we are responsible men of God for ourselves, responsible men of God for our families, for our church, and for our community. What does it mean to be a responsible man of God? I've heard, um, I've heard it said, and I'll tell you this, a prerequisite. I've read several books on how, or how to be a better man of God. Okay, So a lot of this is not going to be new if you've read some of these books. Now, obviously, if you've read the Bible, it shouldn't be new to you, because I'm going to be referenced coming out of Psalm 128. But there's a book by Tony Evans called Kingdom Man. A lot of this comes out of Tony Evans' book. There's also a book by a gentleman named R. Kent Hughes called Disciplines of a Godly Man, which I believe every man that has professed faith in Jesus Christ should read. And if you go down to Anthony Hall, there in the library window, yes, we've got a window in the library, if you didn't know that. It's a display case. I've got several books in there. And if you'd like to take one, you're more than welcome to. Now, I don't have a lot of the Disciplines of a Godly Man book. You can look inside that window. If you'll go in the door just past it, loop around, open up the back, and you can grab one of those books out. There's several books in there uh, that, that, that are in regard to what I'm going to be preaching on in the coming weeks. I've got Disciplines of a Godly Man. I've got Kingdom Man. I've got Family Driven Faith by a guy named Vadi Bauckham. I've got a book in there called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. I've got The Love Dare and there's one more book, and right now off the top of my head, I can't remember it. Uh, but you can go down there and see that for yourself. I uh, want to make sure I get all of my sermon in today. But you know, God asked Adam a question in the garden. He says, Adam, where are you? Today, that same question exists for men. Men, where are you? Where are we? God knew where we were. It's not that man had hidden from the sight of God, although man thought he had. God knew exactly where he was, but men, where are we? Where are we? I've heard it said, if you're a messed up man, you're going to contribute to a messed up family. If you're a messed up family, you're going to contribute to a messed up church. If you're a messed up church, you're going to contribute to a messed up community. If you're a messed up community, you're going to contribute to a messed up state. If you're a messed up state, you're going to contribute to a messed up country. And if you're a messed up country, you're going to contribute to a messed up world. That's how it is. The only way to have a better world made up of better countries, composed of better states, filled with better communities, influenced by better churches, and inhabited by better families is by becoming a better man. It starts with you. It starts with us. It starts with us, men. We've got to lead well. We know in Genesis 1, 26, the scripture tells us, then God said, let us make man in our image. Just talking about mankind, 
initially. He's, he's not just talking about one man at this point. He's talking about mankind. Let us make man in our own image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God goes on to inform Adam that everything is given to him to eat without the exception of one thing. And God puts man in the garden. He creates him. And it's kind of curious. He creates him and then he places him in the garden. It tells us in chapter 2. He puts him in the garden to, uh, to tend it and to keep it. You'll notice there's a change in that word tend to another word in just a minute we're going to look at. Because there's a big difference between the two words. God put the man in the garden to tend it and to keep it. That means to steward it. God has given us something to care for. God gave one limitation to the man. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we all know how that went, didn't we? The man did not tend to keep the things that were put underneath his care. Which was first... The garden. But then, he had someone else to care for. And that was his wife. He didn't tend to keep her very well, did he? Because he allowed her to be enticed by the devil. By the serpent. We're, 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 I'm going to get into that a little bit. I'm not going to really be beating us down today, guys. I mean, obviously, we need to know where we are. And most of us know. It's like when we find out, you know, most of the time people don't need you to come in after the fact after they've done something wrong. Sometimes they do based upon the, the severity. But most of the time when you do something wrong, you're conscious, especially if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is already convicting you already. We don't need coming in there and beat the stew out of somebody about something the Lord's already convicting them over. God's not beating them up. He's convicting them. He's saying, you know you sinned. Come on back. The devil guilts us, saying, you've already sinned. Go further away. But God says, you've sinned. Come on back. Satan says, you sinned. Keep going further. That's not God's plan for our lives. Men, women, children, everybody. That's not God's plan. God wants us to come near to him. Let me tell you what a responsible man of God is. Is defined as this. A man who visibly demonstrates the comprehensive rule of God underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of his life. That is a responsible man of God. And we can observe the importance of tending and keeping three ways today. It's we tend and keep and we are responsible men of God to ourselves. We are responsible men of God to our families. Responsible men of God to our church and then to our communities. That's how it works. A responsible man of God will be a good steward of the things God has entrusted to his care. That's a man, a responsible man of God. We will know our responsibilities. This is the desire today to better understand what it means to be a responsible man of God. Because we will know what our responsibilities are when we close out this service. Women, you'll know what you should expect of your man of God today, if you didn't know already. Sometimes we have these false ideas of what 
the responsibilities are. But from God's word, I hope that we can understand what those things are today. Now, ladies, I'll be talking to you next week. So, you know, don't get on your high horse quite yet. All right? But understand, we all know we all got places to grow in. And as we go back to school, as our children go back to school, as, as our routines and our schedules start getting solidified, they start getting back to normal. You know, during the summer, things are up and down. You're going to vacations, you know, visited family, everything you can. But when school starts back, things kind of settle back in. Men, let's be men. Let's be men. Let's lead our families well. Let's look at Psalm 128. There's only six verses in this little short chapter, but I got more pages of notes and I got verses to look at today, so hold on. Today we're looking at this. I'm going to start off and I'm just going to read it in little bites. They say, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, that's what we're going to do today. One bite at a time. We're going to take a look at this text. In Psalm 128 is David his wrote. It's entitled in my Bible, Blessings of Those Who Fear the Lord. But I want you to be very clear to understand this is primarily focused to the man. And then the outflow of what happens for the man who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Because there in verse 3 it says, Your wife shall be a fruitful vine. Although prior to that it doesn't really directly mention the man. But we know that it's a man and a wife that creates a marital bond. Okay? That is joined in marriage. So let's look at that there in verse 1. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his way. So blessed is everyone. This passage of scripture says, everyone, which alludes to the man following Christ, and everyone through his leadership, through Christ, in the home, family, and church, is to be blessed. Men, if we're leading as God's called us to lead, everybody who follows after us should be blessed. Blessed is everyone. Who fears the Lord. Now don't get me wrong. Every man, woman, boy, and child should fear the Lord. Every man, woman, boy, and child should walk in his ways. But we know that that isn't always how it happens. So men, let's start out the pathway. Let's lead the way. Blessings have stipulations. It says blessed is everyone. And blessings have stipulations. We're not blessed because we are somebody. We are blessed because we love the Lord and he loved us first. First John tells us that. We're blessed because he loved us first. And listen, a blessing is never only about you. Men, women, all of us. A blessing is never only about you. A blessing is always intended to include you. But it is also intended to go through you to others. A blessing is to you, is to include you, but it is always to go through you to be a blessing to others. Because God wants us to be blessed. God wants to bless every person. And we are blessed when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We are there's no greater blessing than to be able to call God the Father, Father. I don't have to cower in fear at who He is. I can call Him Father and I'm blessed. And, and God, because we are children of God, we're co-heirs with Christ, He has given us a level, like we're not great like Jesus, but He's given us a level of greatness. And He wants us to be great for His name's sake and to bring glory to Him. And when people follow after us, he wants 
them to experience that same thing. I want you to understand, God is not opposed to greatness. God is opposed to pride. God is opposed to pride. God wants you to do great things for Him because then His greatness is glorified. But God will oppose you. He will oppose me if we get prideful in the greatness that He so generously grants us. So we need to be mindful of that. We see that in the life of Abraham in Genesis 12 too. We see it in the life of David in 2 Samuel 7-9. God doesn't oppose greatness. He opposes pride. The first stipulation on being one of the blessed is being one who fears the Lord. Look at that. what it says. It says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Well, what does it mean to fear the Lord? When you look it up in the Holman Illustrated Dictionary, it means fear means terror honor or submission i would i would lend to say that it takes it's all three in in honor to god in in speaking of god you should have terror of god the bible tells us don't fear the man who could take your life fear the man who can take your life and your soul there should be a terror of god he is not like you and i he's not like you and me he is holy and righteous he's set apart he's the he's the sun breather if you will I don't know of anybody else who's ever spoken a son into existence. I think that's kind of terrible. I mean, terrifying is not terrible in the sense that we know it today, but it's terrifying to think about it. But yet, he knows me by name. He knows every hair on my head, and he's got less to count day after day after day. So, but he, he knows all these things, and the knowledge that he has of me, and the knowledge he has of you, oh my goodness, that should be terrifying. But at the same time, we should honor him. Because who deserves more honor than the King of kings and the Lord of lords? The creator of all things. In the beginning, in Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created. There's no question. He is the creator. He has created. Honor him for the status for which he holds. The place to which no one else can hold. He is holy and set apart. We, we know that he is he is one to be feared, and we are to submit to him. Submit to his lordship. Every week, quoted this even this morning, every week you're going to hear this passage of Scripture me because it's how you come to faith. You confess Jesus Christ is Lord, both in your heart. You confess it before a congregation. You tell everybody you come in contact with, Jesus is the Lord, and Jesus is my Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised his son from the dead, and I'm saved. For it is with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and it is with the tongue that one confesses unto salvation. It's, it's how that process works. And we need to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Submit to the lordship. So yes, he who fears the Lord. The first stipulation on being one of the blessed is being one who fears the Lord, that, that holds the Lord in terror, honor, and submission. I'm not, God's not submitting to you, to you, but you're submitting to Him. But you're, you're fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord has a lot of benefits for man. Proverbs tells so many of them. There are so many benefits when we fear the Lord. I'm going to give you some of them today. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is it's wisdom to fear God more than to participate in evil. Instead of participating in evil, fear God. There's wisdom in that. Don't just participate in evil. Hate it is what Proverbs 8.13 says. Hate evil. 
You may say, well, I don't really like that word hate. That's a good place to like the word hate. You should hate evil, okay? Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 10.27, the fear of the Lord will prolong days. Proverbs 14.26-27, uh, the fear of the Lord brings strong confidence. And the man who has this is a refuge for his children and is a fountain of life. Well, that's some beautiful verses right there. And all the more reason to fear the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord is in the instruction of wisdom. 1533. 1923 of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord leads to life and satisfaction. It destroys discontent. The fear of the Lord would destroy discontent. And lastly, the, the last benefit. Now, granted, there's a lot of other benefits. I just gave you a snippet in Proverbs. But the, the last benefit that I have noted here of the fear of the Lord is that there is an assurance of a life with God after this life in Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. There is assurance of a life with God after this life of those who fear the Lord. Listen, there are benefits. Those who fear the Lord. That scripture said, when you eat the labor of your hands, you shall, oh, excuse me, I'm in verse 2, moved ahead too fast. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And listen, men, you don't have to openly curse God. You don't have to openly curse God to despise him. You don't have to openly curse God. All you need to do is tell him you don't think much of him by giving him your leftovers. Just by giving him your leftovers. So don't do that. Fear him. Place him at the first. Just like the scripture talks about with our tithes. That's the first fruits. We should place that at the first. But yet Christ should be the first. The fear of the Lord should be first in our lives. And I think a lot of the reason why we fall into temptation is because we've forsaken the fear of the Lord. We said, fear the Lord, sit over here. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And in that, you've, you've fallen into all kinds of traps and temptations out of your own desires, as James says. Be mindful of that. The second stipulation on being one of the blessed is being one who walks in his ways. Well, what does it mean to walk in his ways? First, a responsible man of God loves and lives with true integrity before God. True integrity with God. So instead of taking the fear of the Lord and setting it over here, you've got to sit it right here. The Pharisees, what they did, they had these old boxes on their heads with Scripture in it. And they'd pull that Scripture down so they could read it. Of course, they got prideful in it over time, and they got bigger and bigger and bigger and showed how cocky they were. But the initial purpose of that was so that they could read the Scripture and have it ever before them on their forehead. <laughs> See how funny, ain't it? Anyway, but they're walking around with a box on their head. It's kind of like people who had those lamp lights with the strap around their head and it's lining away. Well, that's what the scripture kind of was for them. It lit the way. You're, you know, and we need, to, we need to have the word of God with us. So we need to walk in the ways. It means the first responsible man of God loves and lives with true integrity before God. So what is integrity for us? Integrity is the adherence to moral and ethical principles not set by the world, but set forth by Jesus Christ. You know, the, the world's morals and ethics are like this. You know, you have no idea. There's no standard anymore. There's no standard anymore. It just flips and flops week in and week out. Oh, this is convenient for us. That's right. Oh, that's inconvenient for us. That's wrong. You know, it's like a fish out of water. You see this side and that side, this side and that side. You know, there's no moral standard. 
If you don't come back to this, there, there is no moral standard apart from this. Every law that has been placed in, in our society came from men and men who said, I may not always agree with everything in this. Most of them did. But said, this is where we start. It might not be what every one of them said, this is where we end. But every one of them said, this is where we start. But today, this is what they've done with most of it. Chunked it to the backside. Said, no more do we need the Bible. The Bible's not anything to lead us anywhere. You've got to have morals and ethics. Integrity is an adherence to moral and ethical principles as set forth by Jesus Christ. There's four truths of a man of integrity. His speech will be intentionally true. His speech will be intentionally true. He never cheats or defrauds another. He never steals. He keeps his word. And he is a man of principle. That's out of disciplines of a godly man. Those are the four truths of a man of integrity. And the benefits of integrity are that of character. And this is one of the best ones, a clear conscience. I think there's so many people walking around today and their conscience isn't clear. They know they're walking in a burden of sin that they don't want nobody to know about. So therefore, they don't have a clear conscience. In every moment, they're in a moment of hiding. But the benefits of integrity are that of character, clear conscience, intimacy, elevation, and evangelism. Without integrity and its benefits, maturity will be hard to come by for a man. It will be. And we can see this in the life of Adam in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, uh, we see in Genesis 3, Adam goes from being protector because he did not protect Eve to procurer. He went from protector to procurer. Now Adam must work the ground instead of the Lord bringing forth his provision. He's going to have to work the ground. We can see where Adam is no longer to tend, which is a lighter term of work, to tend to something. I need to tend to this and then I can do that. Tend is a different word than what God tells him he's going to have to do. What is he going to have to do? He's going to have to toil. To toil means to work. That means to sweat. If any of y'all have ever had a garden that maybe you've let grow up over a year or two, and you've had to get out there and bust up that dirt and pull out all the weeds, you've toiled. You sweat. I see my father-in-law do that. Now, I sweated a couple of weeks. Uh, I think it was not this past week. Yeah, it was this past Tuesday. I got out there and cut the grass. I'm going to tell you, the grass had gotten high. I hadn't cut it in about two, two and a half weeks. And let me tell you something, it's rained a lot. And I hate it. I really wanted to cut my neighbor's front yard because uh, her health, she's, she's not good health. And, 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 but man, I'm telling you, my whole shirt was soaked. It had rained on me while, and I don't have a ride mower. Some people have that convenience. I'm out there with a push mower, and I am sweat. I am toiling. And you may say, well, at least you got a push mower. Well, okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm not biting at it with my teeth or, you know. Uh, of course, I had to go back because the sun had went down. So I had to go back with a weed eater and cut a couple of places where I missed my line, which really frustrates me. You know, I like my lines, you know. I don't know. Anyway, so, anyway, so um, we, Adam went from tending to toiling. And that's what happens when you move from protector to procurer. He, he, he had given up. He had, his maturity, his integrity had been lost. He didn't tend and keep the things he was supposed to. And by doing so, Eve succumbed to the temptation of the serpent. And then he ate of the fruit as well. Adam should have been 
better at that. He should have been uh, tending and keeping his wife, caring for her. A responsible man of God will protect, tend, and keep those things which God entrusts to him, whether that be his own life, the life of his family, or the life of his church. For a man to protect, tend, and keep, he must, uh, he must mature. He must mature. Listen, there are three levels that a male will go through in their lifetime. Okay? Now, I got this from Tony Evans, and I thought it was pretty good. Tony Evans says there's three categories of boxes referred to as hoods, if you will. He says there's malehood, which simply is discovered at the time of birth. Unfortunately, for some men, they stay defined by nothing more than being male their entire lives. They're just male. And then there's boyhood. All men should pass through, though some remain. Boyhood is based on immaturity coupled with dependency. There's some that stay there their whole lives. And then there's manhood. And this is God's definition of a responsible man of God. Uh, God's definition of a responsible man of God brings a male beyond malehood and out of boyhood and places into this category called manhood. And this is when a man not only understands and embraces, but also fully lives out the principles and truths in God's word. There's a lot of guys out, out there. A lot of guys. A lot of people that are, a lot of guys that are still in malehood. They've, they've come into boyhood, and they're still in boyhood. They ain't matured. They ain't moved into manhood. We, when we appropriately move through these three categories, we will be productive in our lives. We will be productive in our lives, men. And the women in our lives will see that. It, it, today, I, I mean, I feel sorry for a lot of women today. I really do. Because they're trying to find a man amongst a bunch of boys. They still want to be at mom and daddy's house, live in a basement, have Star Wars uh, pajamas and, and, and sleep underneath, uh, you know, stars that glow at night on their ceilings. They're still boys. They're not men. But you know where that falls? Men. We've got to be men to train them up right. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you're like a cocky, you know, uh, misogynist, all this kind of stuff. You, you, don't, you don't have to be that way. We need to be, we need to have chivalry. That needs to return. I'm going to brag on somebody real quick. This past week, now this young lady, her name's Brooklyn. Uh, it was Wintel. She's gotten married. I can't recall her name at this time. But she come through our youth group. Uh, it, uh, was, it, was it Fairview Heights? Okay, Fairview Heights. And uh, she's gotten married to this gentleman. They're very involved in their church. They're big on foster care. They've adopted about four kids. All right? And she took a picture this week out the side. She's sitting in her driver's seat. And she's sitting in there and she takes a picture down the side of her car. And she said, my son has seen my dad do this, seen my husband do this over and over and over again. He will not let me get out of the car to pump gas. My son pumps my gas. I don't have to get out of the car. Now you may say, what does that mean? It means that there's a father somewhere modeling how to tend and keep his wife. Somewhere there's a father who's showing how to tend and keep his wife. Listen, that's what we need to be doing, men. 
And I'm not saying pumping gas is the spiritual fix. <laughs> but that is a step in the right direction. It's showing how to care for those that are underneath our care, man. I was very proud of that. I said, training them upright. I posted on the post. Training them upright. We are to be that man that, that trains for maturity. Let's look at the second part of that. You shall be happy. Very in verse 2. It says, when you eat of the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. My goodness, I've got so much more to go. Wow. I may, I may uh, ladies, I'll let you off the hook next week. I might just preach half this today and finish up with us men next week, okay? So when you eat of the labor of your hands, hands. Paul wrote to those at First Thessalonica, excuse me, in Thessalonica, not First, Thess it's First Thessalonians. But when he wrote to those at Thessalonica, he wrote this, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Because there's this expectation that the man should be out there working. Now don't get me wrong, Proverbs 31 tells us all about a woman. I'm going to talk about that when I preach on women. Women have a place to do their work and to do their... Listen, and it's not just inside the home. It tells us how she takes her fabrics down there and sells them and all that kind of good stuff. So ladies, hold on. Hold on. We'll be there. But right now, I'm just talking about us men and how we need to be. Okay? What the responsibilities are for us. Verses 10 and 11, it goes on to say, For we hear that there are some of you who walk... There are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, most of the time, we associate that word with women. But this is clearly to the men. You, your hands are so idle that your mouth is running off like it don't have a governor. Men. So be wise about how you talk. Put, put, close your mouth and open up your hands to some work. And get busy. Now, we understand there's times where we're, we have setbacks and we got things going on. We can't work for a time. You know, but, but we understand that. God understands that. But, but we've got to be working, working for the Lord, working for our family, serving them, leading them, because a responsible man of God will pursue a life that is characterized by productivity. We should have a productive life as men. Listen, before career, in the career, or after the career, our hands should be productive, not idle. And listen, when I say men, this is men, whether you're married, a young man, you need to be looking toward these things and doing these things. Whether you're a man in the middle where you're married and you're using, you got on-the-job training toward, towards, you, towards your family and parenting for that matter, or if you're after the fact and you're getting to just spoil. You know what I'm saying? It's a grandparent, maybe. Um, you, you find these things and you, you live, you, live a, you be a responsible man Pursuing the life characterized by productivity. And listen, productivity doesn't mean, like when we think about that, it doesn't mean that, you're, that, that we're looking for financial riches, okay? This does not imply financial riches. As much as it implies, it means that you'll be blessed to meet the needs of your family. This does not mean abundance or wealth. Because as you know, most of us, I, I can't speak for you, but most of us, we're going paycheck to paycheck. We're not living in an abundance right now, especially now with inflation like it is. And, you know, I'm thankful that the gas has come down some, but it still ain't where I'd like for it to be. But we're, but we're, we're living, you know, 
like that. And we've got to be mindful about those things. We need to be, it doesn't mean abundance or wealth. Because people who tell you that the Lord wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and, you know, you know, blab it, grab it, all this nonsense, those people don't know what a real life's like. They don't know what life's like. They've already gotten to where they were by preaching. Many of them, you watch these television preachers, they've gotten to where they were by preaching the word, but then they've sustained it by telling people this prosperity gospel. They got sucked in. Dangerous, dangerous place to be. Anyway, um, it carries with us. This, this does not mean your productivity or your fortune. It does not mean abundance or wealth. It carries with it the understanding of enough. It carries with it an understanding of enough. A blessing, as I said before, a blessing is never only about you. It's always intended to include you, but it also is intended to go through you to others. It's an overflow of our God-given responsibility and authority provides us with satisfaction. It says you'll be satisfied. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. And to be happy, it means, it's talking about your feelings. And it means exactly what it means. It means you'll be happy. You know, so many of us, we want to be happy. You want to be happy? Fear the Lord, walk in his ways. Remember, don't, let's, don't, let's don't step too far from the very first verse, okay? Still in context. Still in context. He, uh, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Capital H for the Lord's ways. It ain't about your work, although your work is, is your productivity, but it's your work by the grace and the gift and the glory and for the glory of God. So be happy in it. Be happy in it. The one who fears the Lord and walks in his ways will be happy. There is no fear when one is right with the Lord. There is no anxiety when you trust the one who holds it all. What God desires most of all for his people is to be holy. But when we are striving to be holy as God is holy, happiness will be an overflow of that obedience. It will be an overflow of that obedience. And the opposite will be for the one who chooses disobedience to the Lord. You'll feel disappointed in yourself. Disillusioned about your future. And disconnected from a right relationship with God and His bride. I'm going to finish out here in verse 2. And then we'll pick up next week with the responsibility of men uh, to their family. But it goes on, it says, it shall be well with you. And that carries with it this idea of the future. It will go well with you. Verse 2, when you eat of the labor of your hands, you shall be happy and it shall be well with you. God desires you to be content and submissive to his leading as your Lord. When our rest is in Christ and not in our accomplished works, things will be well for us. Because if the only way that your happiness and, and your rest is based upon your accomplishments and your works. How many times does our, do our works not accomplish what we want it to? We're not going to be happy and we're not going to find any rest. So we need to understand that our happiness, our rest, our joy comes from the fact that we fear the Lord and we walk in his ways. We may not accomplish the work that we want to on this earth. But if we honor God and live a life that brings glory to him, we can find peace and rest. And we can find happiness. That phrase, it lends to an inner peace from the outcome that Christ has brought into our lives. Being well with us means that we accept, we accept the outcome of God's sovereign plan and working in our lives. And that's hard sometimes. It is very hard sometimes to accept 
God's plan, his sovereign plan and his working in our lives. Sometimes it takes a hardship for us to realize the blessing. Sometimes it's, it's a joy of a, of a victory that lets us understand that. But I pray that we will understand that it, it's all about Christ. I want you to, as we conclude this morning, I want you to think about the following areas of your life and make a practical resolution for approaching each area in the fear of the Lord as responsible men of God. And ladies, you, you can think about these things as well. And, and students and children, you can all think about these things. Think about these things. Think about the following areas of your life. Of course, some of you aren't in some of these areas, but they're potentially on the horizon or you're in them or you're looking back on them. But how you can have the fear of the Lord and make a practical resolution. Think about your marriage. Whether you're looking toward it or currently in marriage. Think about a practical resolution in the fear of the Lord. Parenting. Whether you're preparing to be a father of men or women. Or you're in on-the-job training. Because trust me, if you're a parent, you're always on-the-job training. Whether it's in the finances. Whether you're eating uh, ramen. Or whether you're eating like royalty. How are you going to live how, what are some practical resolutions in the fear of the Lord? In your career, whether you're still contemplating what that career is or whether you're right smack dab in the middle of that career. How can you make a practical resolu resolution uh, in the fear of the Lord? And then entertainment, whether you are watching little or watching much. Make a commitment to the Lord for yourself to be responsible in what you allow in your life and how you can approach these areas in the fear of the Lord and in walking his way. I want you to notice that David first wrote to the men on a personal level. He wrote to David first on a personal level. We have got to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not mom's relationship. It's not dad's. It's not your grandparents, your aunt, uncles, your cousin, or your brother, or your sister. It ain't none of them. It's whether or not you've made a personal decision to confess Christ is Lord.